0: Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Soph. How are you today? Good. How are you, more importantly? Oh, my gosh. I'm really good, but I was saying to you before, I'm kind of like I was having a shower and I felt this sense of like out-of-body experience. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I feel really anxious and I'm like... No, no, no. You have every reason to feel anxious right now. This is a big day. We leave tomorrow to go to Fiji at three in the morning. So, literally, everything that needs to be done, including work, packing, getting the house sorted, blah, 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 things printed off, need to be done today. And yeah. I just want to ask the question because Harry and I had an argument this morning and I can't stand this. He does it every time we go anywhere, even if it's camping. Do you think? Three suitcases for seven days for five people is excessive. No, no. He thinks that we could do it in two suitcases. So you and him share one, and the three girls share one. Doesn't matter how he wants to put who he wants to put it in. He just that's thinks... fine if he wants to take literally one pair of board shorts and that's it. (laughs) But I just said, I go, I understand that. But one, you never pack the suitcases. Two, I know that we only are going for seven days. However, children don't usually wear just one outfit every day. Like they need singlets. The bonus is we're going to an island, which means it's not heavy clothing. So we don't need, you know, lots of things, but like. Yeah.
1: But you also have to be conscious of the fact that like, there's probably one gift shop there that is like $75 for a single It'll be so expensive. You kind of need to take everything you need. And I don't
0: plan on shopping. Like I just plan on using what we have. So I really want to be mindful that I'm packing the right things and not buying things that are inappropriate. Anyway, it really, 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 and I'm ovulating. I should be fabulous right now, but I was just like hitting the roof. No, you look pissed off. Yeah, I was fuming. I'm like, you need to go take everyone to school. I need to do my work and then I'm going to just – do you know what he said to me, I said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get another suitcase. And I'm gonna pack four. I'm gonna pack four suitcases just because he wants to pack three. But no. The thing that annoys
1: me is when someone starts giving their opinion on something that they're not gonna be a part of. Correct. Like he's probably not gonna help you nope. with any of the packing, but he's gonna dictate how many suitcases you can take. And he's probably gonna be like, Well, I have to wheel them through the airport. Yes. And you'll be like, Yeah, you have to wheel it for like three minutes until you get to Thank check you. in mate.' Like fucking hell. I don't like to gender stereotype too much, but I swear there is something in the male makeup that cannot pack. Like I remember once we were going away and look, woe is us, we're talking about how stressful it is to go away on holidays. But that day before you go on holidays, is it is stressful it's worth it once you're there but it's stressful especially with kids and I remember once I had I can't remember if it was like a full day of work or I had something on the day that we were leaving and Nick goes don't worry don't worry I'll pack the girl's suitcase for us and I was like oh that's so kind of you you know that really takes one thing off my plate I think it was actually because I was in bed sick, pregnant. Actually, Probably. <laughs> We were going to prison. I'm thinking
0: what would be the reason that he's packing the suitcases and yeah, not you? Yeah, there had
1: to be a real reason. It could only have been head in toilet bowl <laughs> that was the reason. Anyway, we get there and it's like a bear has gone through their wardrobes and just like grabbed the first, like, I was like, none of these pants, like, I don't care if they're not sets. It was just like this print with this top, like, one jumper for both of them the whole time and it was winter and I'm like, cool, they're going to get breakfast on that and then like, what do they wear for the rest of the day? There was just absolutely no logic to it. There was no socks. There was probably one pair of undies for them to both put one leg in each and walk around in together for the rest of the day. Like, I was just like, thank you so much for your help, but no, thank you. But I think what
0: the issue is, and this is what I've worked out where I'm getting a bit irritated is that I have done a lot mentally in my head to prepare for this holiday. Yeah. Yeah. and because I've done so much when he makes a comment like that like no we don't need three that's ridiculous I'm like you haven't you thought are about it ridiculous are you, you kidding are me ridiculous. I just I just don't it, it like I'm like where can we go in this conversation right now so you understand how much I've done it's not like I need a thank you but it's just like please do not Ask no, me about
1: suitcases. His thank
0: you is not being involved. No, do you know what he, he said? He can say a big thank you by not being involved. He said, "I said, what if we had more than four? Well, I just wouldn't go. And I said, well, that makes it a hell of a lot easier. I'll pack two suit suitcases, and you won't come. But he's just being what a silly. Ridiculous comment. Yeah, because he's being annoying. He like then he gave me this cheeky look, and I'm like, okay, you're trying to shit stir me at the wrong ass time, and now yeah. everyone needs to like get out." I just, (laughs) anyway, it is that one day before you travel and we've got a big long list, but besides that, it's all good. It's all positive. It's just the, you know, first world problems of travel and holiday, which we have not done for a very long time, like a lot of other people. So I'm super excited to be going and I hope that it's going to be a really fun time and we, yeah, we all stay healthy and we'll keep you posted. (laughs) And stop trying to irritate each other. Oh my god, <laughs> that I can't promise. <laughs>
1: that you cannot promise. We actually had quite a funny rude or fabulous. She wasn't quite sure if it was illegal, so it was one of those things that's you know like you know borderline. Oh, nice. I love that. I have a rude or fabulous for you. It could be illegal slash frowned upon. I'm not sure, but anyway, we were buying the mini nappy bin bags, and I thought hmm, this isn't very good for the earth, etc. And then when walking the dog, I realised that the free dog poo bags at the park are compostable and, as mentioned before, free. So, now when we walk the dog, I pinch a few extra and stash them away for the nappy bag. In my mind, I'm doing my bit for the environment, but is this rude? I think it's fabulous. I think you pay enough in rates that the least you can get is some compostable free bags and you are you are doing your bit for the environment good on you I don't know what compostable bags do when they've then got a nappy inside it I think that might you know cancel one another out I don't know if it's still unless it's an eco-friendly nappy How would it work? I'm not sure. But, hey, either way, it's better than two bits of non-compostable. But, (laughs) see, I would take it upon myself to go – I mean, she was walking her dog, but I don't have a dog. I would say, well, because I don't have a dog – And I'm paying my rates and dog owners are getting this for free, I then deserve something for free. So I would for sure pocket them.
0: (laughs) So you would just be going out they'll be like, Sophie, you don't have a dog. What are you getting these for? Oh, just because I'm entitled to them. So No one else can get a small win if I can't. What the hell? (laughs) So there you go, there's your mum hack and your rude or fabulous. And this is relative to our episode today. It is,
1: even though we don't actually know if it's better for the environment or not. not. so don't hold us to it. No, in today's episode, we chat to Amanda McKenzie. is actually the CEO of Climate Council and she chats all about how we can raise eco-aware kids, but without causing eco-anxiety. I actually loved this chat because I'm going to admit that I try and do my part, but I'm also a bit head in the sand because I'm like, it's all gloom and doom. It's all negative. What the hell can I do as an individual? So I feel like this was more of a palette way to look at it you know through the lens of there is still hope there is still good that we can do and it's all not too late and I guess how we can practically do it as parents because I feel like sometimes as parents you think there's too much on my plate already how am I going to add
0: this on as another thing absolutely couldn't agree more we hope you enjoy
1: Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do and what we're going to chat about?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm Amanda and I've been working on climate change for the last 15 years. I got really passionate about it when I was at university and started an organisation called the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, which is about engaging young people on climate aged out of that.
1: (laughs) Aged out of your own
2: brand. (laughs) I had thought, you know, we'll solve the climate crisis pretty quickly. Turns out it's a really, really big problem. And when I got to 28, I had to retire from youth organising. So the Climate Council came after that. This is an organisation that provides accurate information to the Australian public on climate. And when we started the organisation, really it was from a place of think people need accurate trusted information on such a huge topic and we need to be able to provide that information in a way that makes sense to people there's so much complexity whether it's economic whether it's science etc and for for most people it's just hard to get your head around all of it so our sort of Our purpose is to translate all that complexity as well as do a whole range of different advocacy work to government to get action happening.
1: I feel like I'm guilty of that, of almost going, oh my gosh, it's too complex and it's too far beyond me that I'm kind of going to stick my head in the sand a bit because I feel a bit helpless. But where are we at in terms of climate change? Like, what as adults? parents especially you know teaching the younger generation or more so them probably teaching us like where are we at
2: yeah I think a lot of people feel like you and I think if you don't feel like you have any agency or you can make a contribution it's really hard to engage in a topic so my message is there is a lot that all of us can do and we can do it together So where are we at on climate change? The climate crisis is happening. Most people would remember the black summer fires as being so horrifying in Australia. 80% of us were affected by the smoke. And then many people obviously lost their homes. Huge amount of wildlife was affected. And I remember seeing the pictures of Australian forests from Brisbane to Hobart on fire. It was just horrifying. And then this year we've experienced such catastrophic flooding. So it's absolutely here now, these extreme weather events are getting worse, they're getting more frequent and um, they're having real impacts on, on all of us right now. And you just, some of those poor people that have been affected by floods four times this year, like it's obviously having a big impact. On the flip side, there has been so much progress in tackling the crisis you often hear the the bad news you know what is um, the extreme weather events or different governments not doing enough you don't hear the quiet good news stories of which there are huge amounts Uh, we work a lot with local governments local governments have done a whole range of different things on climate change same with state governments particularly around renewable energy putting in place solar farms helping farmers to get down their emissions uh, electric vehicle charging stations. There's a whole range of different things that are underway now, both here in Australia and around the world. And the amount of change that's happened in the positive sense in the time that I've been working on it is what fuels a, a huge degree of hope that I have for how we can tackle the crisis.
0: I reckon that I would be more inclined if we had, like if we could listen to more good stories like that, it would make you more positive about what's happening that you can go, all right, I want to get on this bandwagon. I want to do something to help. Like I feel we've been so lost. Everything that you hear on the news, we pretty much give up now because it's just going to be either something really, really bad or yeah, it's it's all a gloom and doom. We don't want to talk about it because it's just uncomfortable. And if it was, a little bit more like also as a parent and hearing that information and then trying to relay that information to your little ones like this is their future and I sit there all the time I watch documentaries with my husband and I sit there and I actually get a lump in my throat and go what the fuck are we going to do like what are our kids kids going to do Mm -hmm. really like what hope do they have if this is what's going on for us now
2: Absolutely. I think a lot of parents, I certainly get those feelings as well, but where we get momentum and change is when we do focus on the positivity, like you're saying. And for Australia, like we're the sunniest country in the world, we're one of the windiest. And over the last few years, solar and wind, the costs have absolutely plummeted. Same with batteries. They're the cheapest form of power in Australia. Spent a lot of time looking under the ground at coal and gas, But actually, up in the sky, there's this huge big fireball, which has, (laughs) you know, we're the the country that can benefit the most. And now there's new technology that is being explored to export our solar power to Asia, to help um, provide solar power to Asia. We can also be doing manufacturing in Australia using the cleanest, cheapest renewable power in the world. So green steel, green cement, green aluminium could all be being manufactured here. We also have um, basically all of the minerals that you need for the clean energy revolution. We've talked a lot about mining coal, but how about mining lithium, silver, gold, these other minerals that are really important for the renewable energy revolution. So Australia's, really really well placed to, to benefit from the change and we could be driving a lot of the change and that's what gets me excited Australia as this superpower of clean energy that can be helping drive positive change around the world rather than Australia's the laggard on climate change we're really crap and you know the terrible yeah. climate crisis like let's talk about who we could be and when you talk about what's the future for our children could they be inheriting in Australia where we're seeking to make this big positive impact globally
1: Instead of everyone around the world always hearing about us for our natural disasters, (laughs) we could maybe be, you know, famous for something else. So what needs to happen for those changes to be made? Is it that, you know, like because it's not available yet to get it started is so expensive, like what needs to happen next?
0: What can Sophie do? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, the first piece, the technology is all there. There's some areas around the side, like in agriculture or some other industries, but the lion's share of it, the tech's there. So whether it's the solar panels, whether it's the large scale solar plants, the grid scale batteries, the smart technology to manage our grid, that's all there. The thing that's not completely there is the political will. And that's been changing over time. And that's where individuals and communities can make a really big difference. And we've seen that in the last election, a number of these different independents with climate platforms getting elected. And it wasn't just in the inner city, it was also in a whole range of different regional areas, and particularly in those areas that have been affected by natural disasters. So in um, southeast Queensland, where climate change has exacerbated floods, there was this switch towards the Greens in a number of those seats. In the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales, a number of independents really gave the nationals a run for their money again on climate platforms. So the community is really stepping up and saying the federal parliament has not been good enough on this, but it's not only the federal government that can act. State governments can act, local governments can act, but also all of us in our communities can act. So imagine if in every school in Australia, the parents group was thinking about, oh, how can we get solar panels on the roof? How can we be getting veggie gardens in to teach kids about how to have more sustainable food systems? There's a whole range of ways in which communities can do things. What I don't suggest is that people try and take it on on their own in their own home. There's some things that we can do, obviously, But it can be a bit dissatisfying if you're, you know, sitting in the dark and you've like turned off all your appliances and you look down the street and everyone else has got their lights on, right? So it's better if we can do it together. And there's a whole lot of movement now around community batteries, a range of ways in which communities can work together. And I tend to think that that's the way that you'll get the resilience in terms of people acting.
0: And what's the best way that we can explain all this to our children? And what's the most appropriate age to start?
2: My sense, and I'm no expert in this, but is to respond to where our children are at and what they're asking. So different kids will come to it in different ways at different times, but I think we need to be honest with them because they will hear it in other places. Like we can't yeah. just say, Oh, don't worry about that. It's all in hand because they won't believe us. We've got to say, you know, look, it is scary. You know, there are these big changes going on in the world, but There are some people doing really good work to solve them. Why don't we go and research that together and find out some of the ways in which people are building solar panels and doing some of those other things. So we do exactly what we we, um, benefit from as adults. Let's see the action that people are taking. And then I encourage people to also get their kids involved in some level of action that's appropriate to their age. So again, the school example, like how can their school be getting involved? How can the local street be getting involved? There's a whole range of small solutions that they can be thinking of that are relevant for them.
0: And I think a veggie patch or something quite small is is quite beautiful for kids to see how things grow and actually have the care and love into doing something every day. And at the end of that, you know, you get a a carrot or you get a strawberry and the excitement that they get out of that whole process is just amazing and you don't have to live on a farm to do that. You can literally, you could have been in an apartment, in city living, you can do it anywhere and they get a part of that understanding of, you know. And some learning.
2: Yeah, and some learning. Yeah, exactly. And I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So I haven't spoken to the four-year-old much about climate change, but she knows about the environment and that I care about the environment. And we've got a little bee hotel and we've put that, you know, in the, a balcony. We found sort of a, a place on the balcony to put it. And there's spiders now in there and other bugs. And we've planted some flowers that we think the bees might like. And And I've talked to her about how bees are really important. And so it's sort of the start of a process because I'm conscious that she will over time, particularly because I'm working in this space, she's overhearing it all the time. Mm. Eventually she's going to ask me questions and I want to give her, have a bit of background, like this is why we care about these sorts of things and also, you know, this is why mum is, you know, working really hard on this because I think it's really important for your future.
1: And those little changes around the home, are they almost because as you said before, like it's more about like getting out there and doing it as a community rather than doing it all at home and doing it at home can be expensive and it can be, you know, like another thing to think about already in such a mental load of being a parent. But is it almost just as important for the environment just as it is for your kids to see you caring for the environment? Like do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like, you know, we we try not to use straws. Is that really going to save the world? No, but is it good that our kids are seeing us try and make a difference. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I feel like
2: that's totally important. I think we want to, as our generation, bring up a generation of environmental stewards. Like the reality is they will receive a world from us that will have more climate-fueled disasters than we have experienced. There will be a, a whole range of things that are challenging for them. So if we can bring them up to be stewards, I think that's really critical and we need to bring them up to be as resilient as possible for a world that has challenges and I think that's why I also encourage the community solutions because that's where resilience comes from what we find with natural disasters is the communities that cope the best after these things happen are the ones that where people know how to create connections within their community they know how to support one another so I feel like that's really important for my kids that I know my neighbours that I'm modelling for them that, you know, we're part of the community at Kinder and other things because that's how we build resilience as a community.
1: I mean, we both live in the Northern Rivers area, so we've seen this a lot firsthand Mm. this year and definitely the way that all the different communities, you know, the small communities and then the larger community as a whole came together, you know, in such devastating times was such... An incredible thing and we didn't really have that much choice because at the time there wasn't much support anywhere else other than from the community. But yeah, the way the community came together was, it was that real reminder because we've kind of lost that like you know bike riding in the street and playing soccer out the front of your house because you're too worried a car will zoom around the corner and we kind of had lost that and I feel like one positive of COVID I think was kind of people Mm. were home and chatting to their neighbours over the fence or whatever and that was definitely like one small positive out of you know something so negative was that community spirit that came together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when you survey people for community spirit, it's often a lot higher after disasters. It is a sort of swirling sort of, mm. of it. And one of the pieces of advocacy we've been doing to government is that prior to disasters, we need to do a whole lot of investment in community So we have community hubs where there are clear representatives that can help communities later down the track if a disaster does happen. People know where to go. They know that there's some people that have had experience with RFS or other people are, are there. And schools become a really key place in those sorts of environments too. So I do think that kids need to... You know, we don't want to scare kids. We don't want to make them unnecessarily anxious, but they're going to be aware of what's happening to a degree anyway. So it's about finding a way to help them see what is happening that's positive, involve them in action. I tend to think that most people, once you're doing something about a problem, you feel much better about it. And Yeah. The same. But also thinking about ways that we, as a, it's a generational thing, but how we prepare our kids for a more difficult world. Like I think back of my childhood, Oof. you know, in the... 80s and 90s it just seems so blissful now doesn't it like doesn't it when we're you know in it face with a pandemic and a climate crisis and all of these things so I think as parents totally get the like oh, I can't deal with it and I need to switch off but I think just coming back to how do I build resilience in myself how do I model that for my kids and I often say to people as well, like I said to my sister the other day, like, you've got a, a three-year-old, you are not the person that needs to save the world this year. <laughs> yeah,
1: you got a bit on, yeah. <laughs> you got a bit on. Like
2: this is a responsibility of everyone. So think about what is it that you can do that is energizing for you and also models the right things, your values for your child right now. And it's not going to be everything, but it can be some things. So it might be the veggie garden, it might be the bee hotel. It's you know, bringing up an environmental steward. And then in two years time, when locking my nephews in school, maybe you have capacity to do more. So what you're doing now is not forever, right? You have Mm. different levels of capacity at different times in your life.
0: The other day I was walking down the street and there was a plastic bag that was floating around and we were all walking towards it. And I just picked it up and my kids looked at me and were like, why did you just pick that up? That's not yours. And I'm like, where will it go if I don't pick it up? Where is it going to go? And they were like, <gasps> it actually could go in the ocean. And I'm like, I didn't want to freak them out, but I'm like, if there is literally a flying bag flying around the middle of the street, I'm going to pick it up. It it might not be a monumental thing that I'm doing to help, but it's a tiny moment that my kids have taken to see that I'm caring about, you know, our surroundings. We went too far with that when Poppy was younger. We would
1: be like, you know, if you walk past litter, you've always got to pick it up, da-da-da-da-da. It's going to make its way into the ocean and it will make... The turtle sick or whatever. But then it meant like we had this bus stop near our house and it was, there was always so much rubbish there. And then it was in front of a work site and there was oh no. always so much rubbish in the work site. And we'd walk past it every day to go go to where we would go to get coffee and she would make us stop and I was like, I cannot fill the entire bottom of the pram with (laughs) other people's rubbish and we had to end up going like, oh, someone's coming back for that rubbish, like we can't pick it up. what are things that we can be swapping out at the supermarket, for example, that actually make a difference or, you know, because a lot of people did write in saying they want to make a difference, but they're in a single income family or, you know, a single parent family. And often those sustainable options are more expensive and, you know, in such an expensive world already, like what should we actually be investing our money in that's going to make a difference?
2: Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's about looking at priorities There's some sustainable options that are genuinely a lot cheaper. Like, for instance, you can use bicarbon vinegar for cleaning, for instance, rather than using cleaning products.
0: Let's really talk about that for a second. That works on literally anything and everything. If you Google anything about how can I get this off a certain material, wood, bicarb soda and vinegar every bloody time, or lemon juice to get mould out of your fridge, lemon juice bicarb soda and vinegar boom with a toothbrush
2: it is pretty amazing, as cheap as chips it? then throw the toothbrush out
0: <laughs> you know then brush your teeth and they'll be really shiny <laughs>
2: yeah so there are things that can be you know less expensive looking at seasonal vegetables and you know because if you go and have a look at organic vegetables but you just look at what is in season and not in season you're bound to get some cheaper ones but Buying organic sometimes is more expensive than not buying organic, but that's about the priorities in where you put your money, for instance. And then there's some things that are genuinely cheaper, like buying secondhand clothes. Like mm. I buy a lot of my kids' clothes from op shops. You know, they trash their clothes, but I can, I found lots of great ones at op shops. So I think it's trying to get away from being perfect. You're never going to be perfect, but you can do a bunch of stuff within your income and within your interests. And it's about thinking about the impact you're making. It's modelling to your kids, but it's also about how we can do things as a group in our community. So again, what could our school do together that we can then share, for instance, with the local politician? The way I sort of frame having an impact in the world is I think about how do you use your treasure, so your, your money? So it might be donations to organisations. It might be how you spend your money. Might be thinking about where you put your super. Is it in um, a super fund that gets out of fossil fuels or is it one that is funding More fossil fuels? fuels? So thinking about your money. Then thinking about your voice and all of our voices are really important. What we share on social media, what we share with our friends and family, how we communicate with our local politicians or radio stations, et cetera. And then how we use our time. So parents might not have a lot of time at this stage in their life, but if they do, that's where you can, you know, volunteer, you can contribute to doing that. Like how does our school get some vegetable boxes or whatever it is? So I think about the time, voice and treasure and We all have different ways that that's going to make sense for us.
1: I think what you said about interest is so important, especially as a starting point, because I think if it's an area of your life that you have interest in, for example, like my husband's really into cooking, I'm really into eating. So like (laughs) starting with seasonal produce is exciting for our family because that's something that is interesting for us, whereas there may be other areas that I'm not as passionate about. So making those changes don't feel as important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And what about people who are like considering another child but feel guilty about it? Like can we still keep oh. bringing kids into this world? So, we
0: were watching David Attenborough, I called him Peter Attenborough the other day <laughs> and he was like that's not not who it was. Anyway, we were watching David Attenborough and we finished watching one of his documentaries about the population and I sat there on the couch and I said we shouldn't have had that third child. Like what have we actually done? And genuinely though. Poor Yumi, it's not the first time you've thought that. (laughs) But like, yeah, now I'm ruining the planet. But it is something that we have to think about. How many kids is too many kids? Mm. How many peoples are too many peoples?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a a really hard question. And, uh, you know, you think, what are we heading to, 9 billion people or something like that? Like it is a lot of people for the planet to sustain. But that depends on how much each of those people consume. and obviously Yeah, in and the,
0: what they're consuming.
2: Yeah, and obviously in the West we consume, and in Australia in particular, we consume a lot more than, say, someone in India, someone in Africa. So it is thinking about the levels of consumption and waste that we create as a family. So I think that's probably I've got two children and haven't completely decided to not have a third, (laughs) but um, my baby's still waking up a lot of the night, so I'm like. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's got nothing to do with the environment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The environmental considerations for me is, is thinking about that, like the consumption piece, but then on the other hand, I think about, well, I can bring up an environmental steward And that's my responsibility is for the next generation. Someone that is going to care a lot about the future of the planet. I can model a range of ways in which I can care about the planet and um, my community. And that's something that's right for my family. So I think it's one of those things. It's a balancing act. Yeah. And if you are, if you have more children, maybe you have more responsibility to, to model that. How do
0: you explain to your kids about food wastage? Oh, it gets to me yeah. every meal. There's just one so bite of much toast. Don't want it. It's also One expense. bite. If you're lucky. My but God. like you, you buy. I mean, this is the biggest thing: is meat and a yeah. cheeseburger, right? It's one bite, and that's it. It's like. I watched that documentary and I'm like, holy fuck, I've just fucked up the whole planet again. Like I'm really, really, I've got to just chill out. But, you know, these are the tiny things that do make a big difference. How can we explain to our children if you're not going to eat that, don't ask for it?
2: (laughs) I don't think I'm an expert on that because my daughter is a massive food waster. She'll have one bite exactly like you described the cheeseburger and then I'm full. And then an hour later, oh, no, I'm hungry again, but I don't want the cold cheeseburger. The thing that I'm working through is maybe something like a worm farm would be good where they take the food scraps and put it in. We've got a compost. I haven't got my daughter engaged in this yet, but I've been thinking about it. If we could have a worm farm, then she's seeing the volume of stuff Mm -hmm. going into the worm farm. I also think involving kids in the growing and preparing of food is helpful. And my suspicion is over time that's, that helps them to value the food rather than it just like coming in the packet from the supermarket. Yeah, totally. So if they're there for the whole process, I think over time that will help them value food. And I think kids, (laughs) all the parenting research I've done is kids learn by modeling. So the more that we can show that, that we value the food, I think that will be imprinted on them over time.
0: Well, I've got to take my hat off to my husband because like sitting here listening and thinking about what he does versus what I do, he is one of he's the recycle nut in our house. He has all the bottles in one box, all the recycling in another. He takes the kids down to a area where they put all the bottles and then they get some money for recycling and then they run into Woolworths and they can spend, you know, something with that money. <laughs> Buy a plastic toy. <laughs> (laughs) a plastic doll no but like it's showing them like by recycling and having being conscious about where you're going to put the recycling not just dumping it in a rubbish bin that that makes a difference and for him you know it's not more about the money side of things it's more about waste he has such an issue about waste with food so if we're sitting out at a restaurant he will literally say to me jade order the children, three of them, one meal. If they Mm. all manage to eat that one meal, we'll buy them something again, absolutely. But please let them finish this one meal. And we've been doing that and that's actually been a big game changer. The other thing that we do because we live on a farm in the Northern Rivers is we have chickens and ducks. So every scrap that we have we put into a bucket and that goes down to the chickens. So then we teach them that the chickens are feeding off what we're not eating. Then they are getting the nutrients from that. And then we get the egg out of that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're sitting in their heads going, what are you talking about? <laughs> but physically, they're actually seeing it. So then we go down the next morning, there's an egg there and we have that and we eat that. And it's all about recycling. So in a way, I don't know, the whole thing's beautiful if you can, in one way or another, do something so kids can see the... That it has to go somewhere. That it has to go somewhere. It's meaningful.
2: Yeah, exactly. And kids are very concrete. Like I remember my mum saying to me as a child, like, eat the rest of your dinner you know kids are starving in other places around the world and you know that That makes no sense yeah I don't know what you're talking about so I think that process of showing children and doing it with them is what will stick Mm. theoretically we'll see
0: we can only try right that's all we can do is try we had another experience after the floods that we were actually so like traumatized by it that recently it was thundering and my middle daughter screamed and burst into tears and literally had a panic attack because the last time it happened, we had a flood and the whole drive was flooded, cows died. And so anytime it starts to rain or there is any sort of lightning strike or thunderstorm, Everyone in our house, except for the toddler, is on edge. We we automatically think worst case scenario. I mean, our house didn't even flood during it, but like
1: my four-year-old daughter saw a lot of the aftermath in the streets surrounding us. And, yeah, the next few times it rained she kept going like, Mom, I can't go to daycare, it's going to flood. And it's one of those things that you can choose to pretend that they don't know what's happening. But, like, she knew that, like, lots of rain led to really bad things. Yeah. And then so, you know, it rained for bloody five months it felt like and every time it rained heavily she would say, Mommy, is it going to flood again? Are people's houses going to flood again?
2: Our kids are, are much more aware than we often think and cleverer. Like, even if they don't have all the words for it, I often just observe that in my daughter. I'm often really surprised at the nature of her questions. I think four is a really interesting age, isn't it? They Mm. they do start to really think deeply about the world. And so I just don't think we can underestimate what they're aware of. And so I think if it's just reassurance, like, don't worry, it's raining, but this time it won't be a flood. I feel like that's not enough for this generation. I agree. I think we've got to say Yeah, it was scary last time it rained, wasn't it? It was really worrying. And we did see those houses that had had, you know, impacts to them. And we need to sit with them in some of those feelings of sadness and as parents be willing to go there with them.
0: Mm. And allow them to feel uncomfortable and know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable, mm. not just dismiss it because we want to make them feel better. Well, we were all feeling uncomfortable every time it rained Yeah, totally exactly. that. So. But I didn't know what to do with it because I've grown up always going, you know, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And I feel like if I had someone going, it's actually not that fine Like today is fine, but how are you feeling and actually not just going, oh, because I guess back in the day we always, you know, the best thing we could do for our kids is bubble wrap them and feel like, you know, oh, no, 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 you're fine. Everything is fine. Like that's the easiest scenario when actual fact when they grow up. Feeling those uncomfortable feelings and talking about them is going to set them up for a, a much brighter future because they're going to be more understanding when these things arise, you know, how how they can action and how they can actually respond to situations.
2: Yeah. And we want them to go to people and say, I feel really sad and scared and yeah. actually vocalize what they're feeling. And I just keep thinking about like, although I've got I think being a parent at this time is this sort of two things in me at the same time. I feel really positive about a whole lot of the action in tackling climate change. And I do want that to be my message. I think there's so much happening and it's really positive, but then on the other hand, the reality is there will be consequences and there are already consequences. So we do need to prepare our children to live in a world where there will be more extreme weather events and they'll happen more often and they will be worse. So I think if we can face that reality and then sit with our kids as they experience some of these things, you know, that will prepare them and make sure that they are more resilient than they might otherwise have been.
1: I do feel like there's recently been a very drastic turning point where it went from, oh, climate change, like some polar bears are going to die, like isn't that sad documentary, to all of a sudden, shit, here in Australia we are having natural disaster after natural disaster, which is obviously so scary, but I do hope that that leads to, you know, when it's in your backyard, quite literally, hopefully that leads to some more action before it's too late.
2: Well, oh, absolutely, and it's we've been having conversations with the incoming federal government. It does seem like they're serious about putting in place some decent climate legislation, but the question is that we've lost a decade. Like the previous mm-hmm. government didn't just do nothing, they put us backwards. Mm. So we now need to really catch up. So the thing I often say to people is there will be huge disruption from failing to tackle climate change, and we're seeing that disruption in these extreme weather events. We haven't seen much disruption so far from the solutions. The solutions have all been upside, like cheaper renewable energy and uh, more electric vehicles. But all of that needs to be accelerated dramatically through the decade. Like the lion's share of the effort has to happen now. And we've been moving too slow. So it's kind of like do you want disruption from fundamentally altering the climate and massive extreme weather events forever? Or should we have a period of some level of disruption? in shifting to electric vehicles, getting rid of the coal fire generators, getting rid of the gas and um, moving more quickly. And that there will be some periods where it's uncomfortable. Some people will lose jobs in coal industries, et cetera, but there'll be new industries and um, (laughs) it saves us from the climate crisis. So, you know, it's worth it. And we have to be real about what we're weighing up here.
1: Yeah. Which risk we're willing to take. Do you have any good resources, books or anything that we can read to our little ones to potentially teach us (laughs) and them a little bit more about what's going on, but in a, you know, slightly palatable way?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. The Psychologists for a Safe Climate have a bunch of resources on their webpage And that's a whole lot of psychologists have have thought really deeply (laughs) about all of these issues. They've certainly thunk it more than me. I love
1: that. General
2: resources, the Climate Council's website's got a whole lot of useful stuff. And we've got 130 reports. Most of your listeners won't have time to get into a report, but the key findings at the top, which is one page, will help you get across whatever the information is that you're looking for.
0: Well, thank you, Amanda. You've given us a lot to thunk about. (laughs) No, but seriously, I hope that this has been informative for Yeah. I think it's nice to just get a a
1: steer in the right direction of what you can do because it's a space that you can feel really helpless in really quickly. And yeah, it is nice to know and a bit of a relief to know that some positive things are happening as well.
2: Uh, Yeah, and I think the message for me to parents essentially is you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to do everything. But there are some things that you can do and there are some things you can do with your kids that help them to become environmental stewards. And there are some things that you can do at home and with your community that will make a difference to getting emissions down and more renewable energy. Your voice is important. Um, So do what you can. And if you've got tiny children and you've got no time, you'll have time at some later stage. You don't have to do everything right now. But the message that your community hears from you, even if it's just talking about it, is a really useful contribution.
1: Oh, thank you so, so much for joining us today and thank you for all the work you do. It's so important. Yeah, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Thank
2: you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you.